Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Uh, this is, <laughs> sorry, my, sorry, this is the sound of me dealing um, with patience with technical difficulties here this evening. Uh, so uh, this is, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, lost my Lotro. I'll bring it back later on. Um, so anyway, all is well. All is well. Good evening and welcome for real and like, permanently <laughs> to exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 21. Still, or again, or whatever it is, this is session number 221. This is the real session number 221, the one in which we're going to actually be able to talk about stuff without technical difficulties. So, that's what's going to happen. Um, my announcements, which I shall make even quicker than I was going to endeavor to do before. Reminder about our upcoming regional moots. Text moot is happening in a week and a half on the 26th of March, and Sunshine moot in Orlando, Florida, one week after that on April 2nd. Looking forward to going to both of those. Those are going to be a great deal of fun. And for those of you who are thinking, hey, it would be really great to, you know, for Signum to throw a regional moot near me um, so that I could take part in some of the fun that is the regional moot action. Um, we actually just held an info session this morning for folks who have thought about volunteering. I think that a lot of people are kind of, you know, are would like to have a moot near them, but are sort of intimidated thinking like, I don't know what it's involved to like volunteer to help organize one of these things. Um, so Karita Alexander, our regional uh, moot coordinator and I uh, had a session, uh, an info session this morning where we talked about that. The video of that is going to be posted on YouTube fairly soon. So if you go to this Signum YouTube channel, uh, go to our video stream, you'll be able to see um, our regional moot host info session um, posted there pretty quickly. Um, so, um, uh, anyway, that's um, uh, that was uh, that was that was a really fun session. We had uh, fun talking with folks who were interested in in hosting from a whole bunch of different places. Um, we talked about the possibility of uh, we were talking to uh, some uh, European folks. We had one who wanted to uh, uh, bring a moot over to Stockholm, over to to Scandinavia. That would be a lot of fun. Would love to do uh, uh, to do a a Norse moot. Um, we. Um, uh, uh, we're coming to Oz. Yes, we're coming to Oz. We're doing, uh, uh, we're, we're kind of, uh, that's scheduled actually January of 2023. Um, we're officially doing our Australia moot, uh, in Brisbane, uh, in, uh, 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 the university of Queensland. Um, so that's, that's totally happening. That's totally happening. I'm really excited about that. Um, and anyway, lots of, uh, lots of stuff happening. Um, and, uh, and we're, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see, um, our regional moot program expanding again. Um, I think that there's, um, uh, it's, it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful being back. We've been transitioning back into it, of course, and we've been gentle about it, you know, not been trying to push too aggressively where we've been able to make it happen. Um, and as we've been able to make it happen, we've been reintroducing our regional moots this year, um, hoping to continue to roll those out as we move forward. So, um, 
Uh, <laughs> thank you for teaching me how to say Brisbane correctly, too. I'll try to learn. Uh, I'll try to learn. I'll be excited to learn. Uh, <laughs> that'll be uh, that'll be fun. Um, uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I've never been uh, to Australia before, so I'm really looking forward to that uh, in January 2023. That's uh, uh, one of our big, exciting new regional moots that's going to be coming up next year. Um, but um, anyway, uh, Buckeye Moot, Freebird, we're in talks about that. We actually, we need some more help uh, with Buckeye Moot. We're hoping, we're still trying to make it happen in May of this year, like in two months, from, you know, a little more than two months from now. Um, probably in the second half of May uh, is what we're shooting for. But we still, there are some details we still need to finalize, like exactly where it's going to be. We have a couple of leads, uh, but we haven't finalized anything yet. So we're still, we're still working on that uh, for sure. Um, I don't think Magnolia Moot's going to happen this year, but we're, we're still, you know, talking about it. Maybe we'll do it. Maybe we'll see about doing it in the fall. Maybe we'll um, push it to next spring. Not quite sure about that. Um, but um, yeah, and we did talk about the Pacific Northwest. We were talking about that this afternoon, too. The Pacific Northwest has been um, one of the biggest holes in the U.S. map, as far as I'm concerned, uh, as far as our moot coverage is concerned. I've been really eager to get up towards uh, Seattle or Portland uh, for a moot here. Um, it just seems like so obviously a place where we should be having a regional moot and we've never gotten it together there. So um, <clears throat> really hoping, um, uh, really hoping to, uh, to, to do that anyway. Yeah. So I, you know, our, our, our regional moot program is a really fun opportunity for folks to be able to, uh, connect with people in their region. Um, and it's just, it's a great day, um, being able to, uh, to get together, to, to spend some time hanging out. It's an amazing experience for a lot of people to be able to be surrounded by a bunch of people who, like get your references and you know share your passions and interests and stuff um it's uh, it can be kind of surreal but in a really good way in a really fun way so um anyway uh certainly hoping uh that we uh um are able to pull together some more moots i know that we'll be we'll be doing that as we move forward um and you know being able to we didn't even endeavor to do any uh international moots this year outside the u.s um but uh, we're going to be definitely trying to do that um in uh uh in the coming year basically um you know through this fall and you know the we we do myth moot of course at the end of june that's the the sort of the big uh kind of central event uh in the year uh well it's really central it's sort of the pivot point of the year uh you know the end of one academic year you know springing towards the beginning of the next one um so uh uh it's really, you know, it's kind of fall and spring on either side of, of Myth Moot is, uh, is how we think about the, uh, the Moot year, essentially. So next Moot year. But the one other that we're trying to squeeze into this Moot year, if we can, is uh, Buckeye Moot. Uh, if, we can, uh, uh, if we can get it, uh, if, if we can get it together. Yeah. Hey, Ray, I'm, I'm down for a Moot in North Dakota. You know, I mean, North Dakota, I mean, things are hopping in North Dakota, right? I mean, I got, uh, I got, I got, I, I got plenty of stuff going on in North Dakota. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd cheerfully take an excuse to get out to North Dakota. No problem. Uh, for those of you who don't understand the reference, my son's in college in North Dakota. So, uh, I, uh, was just speaking to a citizen of North Dakota earlier this evening. Um, but, um, yeah, Lady Lakata says, people who are excited rather than indulgent when I say, guys, I learned a new thing. This time it's about linguistics. Exactly. Yes. Yes. You will be you will be among your people. Um, 
But um, oh yeah, no, Fort Dauntless and Tarlonio. I am sure that my son would be delighted by an unexpected moot visit <laughs> from dad. <laughs> I mean, come on, what college student doesn't love it when his parent spontaneously drops in on him? Uh, I think that that's you know that's a uh, that's pretty obvious. Um, <laughs> so 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 we'll see. Um, we'll see. All right. Anyway, um, I'm gonna uh, move forward without too much more announcement. Do. Uh, remember about uh, Mythmoot, by the way. Mythmoot is uh, uh, is coming up at the end of June. Uh, really excited about Mythmoot this year. Getting excited about that. Still kind of in regional moot mindset here as we're getting ready for Moot and Sunshine Moot. But uh, Mythmoot is right on the horizon, uh, and that should be um, uh, that should be that should be a whole lot of fun. Um, anyway, um, excellent. Well, let's uh, let's move forward uh, into our uh, discussion here today at last, as I've been woefully delayed by uh, a whole uh, a whole bunch of technical issues here this evening. So um, this is the slide that we almost finished discussing last time. I've kept it on only for purely transitional purposes, because in the last part of the last sentence, we transition into the focal point, indeed, the hero of the coming slide. Spare food and clothes and blankets and other needs were laden on a pony, none other than the poor beast that they had brought from Bree. The stay in Rivendell had worked a great wonder of change on him. He was glossy and seemed to have the vigor of youth. It was Sam who had insisted on choosing him, declaring that Bill, as he called him, would pine if he did not come. That animal can nearly talk, he said, and would talk if he stayed here much longer. He gave me a look as plain as Mr. Pippin could speak it. If you don't let me go with you, Sam, I'll follow on my own. So Bill was going as the beast of Burton, yet he was the only member of the company that did not seem depressed. Okay, um... <laughs> JJ says, hero of the coming slide, not of the entire trilogy. I know, I know, right? Um, yeah, uh, who doesn't love Bill? Um, uh, anyway, okay. Uh, sorry, I was, I'm just, I was just laughing as I was reading through that first paragraph. I was laughing to myself because um, I made a, in the, in my, um, episode description um, on uh, uh, Twitch and the other places um, where I'm streaming, I made a little joke about how I guess that the, uh, you know, if the nine walkers are supposed to be, you know, to correspond with the nine riders um, to oppose them, um, that Bill, I suppose, then is the opposite of the steed of the Witch King, right? And that um, that got me thinking. So I was kind of thinking about that, uh, that connection in the back of my mind as I was reading that first paragraph. And I, I started, um, I started laughing to myself because it actually fits even better than I thought it did. Right. I mean, this paragraph is, I mean, if you think about it, think about that paragraph describing, you know, remember ahead, uh, to the paragraph describing, um, uh, the witch King steed, Right. Remember about how he's uh, he's taken and he's he's, uh, uh, you know, fed on f on foul meats uh, until he, you know, grow in, you know, in hideous irie. Um, uh, and it's actually 
this is almost exactly like that, right? The great wonder of change that has worked on him. Um, he also has been, you know, f- uh, uh, fed and cherished here in Rivendell. And now, you know, this, this great wonder of the blessing that has come upon Bill the Pony uh, through his stay in Rivendell. Uh, comparing it to the sort of empowerment and corruption uh, of the steed of of uh, of the Witch King, I'm not really making a serious comparison between the two. But the more the more I uh, I, I was thinking about, more was in my mind as I was reading this description. The the, the funnier it got, actually. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, anyway. Um, Yes, I do think the meats are less fell uh, in 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 Rivendell. I think that's uh, that's 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 pretty sure. Um, it's it's fairly certain that that's the case. Um, uh, was he fed on bannocks? I don't know if they gave him bannocks. I mean, they gave moats, presumably. So you know, um, uh, it's that's the next best thing, I suppose, uh, to, uh, uh, to 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 bannocks. Um, but um, I. <laughs> yeah. It's um <laughs> interesting, yeah. Trifle says, I will say this paragraph is definitely written by Frodo when he let Sam read the draft of this chapter and Sam pointed out that Frodo didn't say enough about Bill. Uh yes. Oh I t- by the way, I completely agree. Um I completely agree that um this is definitely all the way through this next couple slides are definitely Frodo. Um, And I think that you can tell, um, I think that Frodo himself gives us the key to this later on, right? Um, Remember the conversation, remember ahead again to the conversation they're going to have on the stairs of Kirithongol. And remember the commentary that Frodo makes, right? Um, When he's imagining somebody reading their story later on, right? That, that conversation in which they're imagining the book printed in, 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 uh, you know, printed or written in, in, in red and black letters. Right. Um, and, um, he's Frodo says, why didn't they put more of Sam's talk in there, dad? Right. Um, uh, I want to hear more about Sam. Um, Sam wouldn't, have done that, right? Sam, at the time, you'll remember, um, assumes that Frodo's teasing him, that he's just joking, right? Um, you know, and he tells him, don't, don't, don't make fun. I was serious, right? Um, and of course, Frodo says, so was I, right? Uh, Frodo wouldn't have gotten far without him. And Frodo specifically comments on how important he thinks Sam's talk is, right? Even though it seems explicitly clear uh, that Sam is not, um, does not share that opinion, right? Does not share the opinion uh, that his talk is, is very important. Um, and um, yeah, I agree, Tarlonio. Bill's the famousest of the ponies. Uh, that's ex- he certainly is the famousest of the ponies. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that this whole, one of the things that's most striking about the passage that starts here, the, the Bill passage, this is a passage about Bill, but it's really a passage about Sam, right? Um, 
it's a segue to Sam to to a, another Sam speech, right? To getting more Sam talk, which is very largely unnecessary. Sam's talk, I mean, right? Um, not essential for the plot, right? This is an interlude moment. I mean, we're literally told, well, we're going to be literally told in the next slide, um, that they're sitting around and waiting for Gandalf to come out of the house, right? They're all standing there in the cold, right, waiting for, um, waiting to get started, but Gandalf is still inside, right? Um, and uh, uh, we are sitting around waiting, and meanwhile we're being told first what Sam th- what Sam says, and then we're going to be hearing in a moment about what Sam is thinking as well, right? And so I, I absolutely agree. I think that this is a this is a Frodo moment all through, right? And uh, I I think it's important to recall in this way. Here's the reason. Here's the thing that I think. Now you know that we you know we've been kind of playing this game throughout our discussion of the Fellowship of the Ring so far. The who is the narrator in this section game, which is you know on the one hand. Um, uh, it's a it's a game that's a little bit questionable in a couple of ways. For one, well, it's not very sporting because we're told that it's mostly Frodo, right? So guess Frodo and you'll be right, you know, I don't know, like 90% of the time. Um, but, um, uh, but it's interesting to think about where there are interventions, uh, editorial interventions uh, by Sam, possible relics of Bilbo's original narrative, um, possible interventions by Sam as editor, and of course, possible later interventions by Findegil, the king's writer, or you know, as sort of representative of scribes of uh, Gondor making later copies. Um, but um, anyway, so um, not only is it a little bit um, on, you know, like actually trying to say, I think it's, you know, I want to be careful because on the one hand. Do I actually believe that while he was writing this, Tolkien was thinking about that, in fact, all the way through? No, no, I do not. No, I do not. Um, I believe that that's a complete retcon thing on Tolkien's part. It's what he did. It's how he thought, right? Having written the story, he then imposes upon it this kind of editorial structure, right? Both in the final chapters uh, and uh, uh, and later on in the appendices and stuff. Um, but... Um, uh, anyway, um, of course, the fact that Tolkien only retcons after the fact doesn't make it less real or less valid. Um, but of course, I, you know, I just I do feel the need to emphasize we're not trying to say I don't think any of us are trying to say that when Tolkien was writing these paragraphs, he was you know, like writing some of them in Frodo's handwriting and then other paragraphs in Sam's handwriting, uh, handwriting and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, but it is a really interesting, uh, once he invites us essentially to play this game, right. By the retcon that he does by the, the, uh, the, 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 the kind of documentary frame that he constructs for the Lord of the Rings. He sort of gently invites us to participate in that. So we're doing it right. We're thinking about it off and on as we go through um, and I think we have that primary text within the story, that exchange between Frodo and Sam on the stairs of Kirathungal, that tells us pretty clearly um, the function of passages like this. Why? Why do we get these several paragraphs? 
which are essentially just giving us odd comments that Sam makes. I, I don't mean odd in the sense that these comments are especially strange. Um, I just mean like miscellaneous comments, right, um, made by Sam at various points in the journey. Um, he's the only one we get that from. We don't get this from anybody else. Um, we sometimes overhear what Boromir mutters under his breath because it will turn out that in addition to letting other people finish speeches, Boromir is also very bad at saying things under his breath. Right? He's going to try that on number, a number of occasions, and it's not going to really work out. Um, so we learn that about Boromir, but, um, uh, but that's just Boromir not really having any, an inside voice. right? Um, we don't get in general, asides about like what Pippin's thinking. Sometimes we hear a conversation between Pippin and other people, um, but uh, except for those times when the company is all scattered and, fro and Pippin's our only hobbit uh, in situ, right, in that neighborhood, like in Minas Tirith, um, then we'll get some interiority on Pippin's part. But when the company is all together, um, we're not going to get other people's side comments on it. Right. These moments when like something's happened, something happens and then we just get like the thing that Sam mutters to himself. Right. Not even saying it necessarily to somebody else, but the, the thing that uh, Sam just kind of says to himself. Right. We get that with Sam a lot, a very great deal. Um, less after. Well, I was going to say less after um, he and Frodo go off alone. But no, actually more in a sense. It's just uh, um uh, it's it doesn't have the same effect because he's it's not him like commenting on like what the whole crowd is doing essentially, um, but um, yeah, yeah, um, but uh, anyway, so it's going to be this is this will not this is not the last time. Think of we've already gotten this kind of thing before, right? Think about the you know, the commentary that we get from Sam um, about lighting a fire in the dell under under Rivendell, right? Um, uh, you know, that... Um, or, sorry, the dell under Weathertop. Sorry, apologies. A dell under Rivendell would be like a, a sub-dell, I suppose, which theoretically they could excavate, but that's not what they did. Um, uh, the dell under Weathertop, uh, when he says... You know, when he mutters about how uh, lighting a fire is also the best way to, to say, here we are, that I know of, bar shouting, right? Um, but, um, anyway, <laughs> um, uh, so, um, uh, anyhow, uh, this kind of thing, uh, we'll, we, and we will see it most, we'll see it most throughout the rest of book two here. The, the, the rest of book two is uh, sort of the, 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 the heyday of Sam's side commentary. Like, meanwhile, like from our, uh, from our reporter on the scene, right? What's the mood right now, Sam? And we'll hear from Sam, right? We'll hear from Sam uh, some kind of comment uh, about what's going on. Um, so the question is, why? Why? Um, Frodo su will suggest on the stairs of Kirith Ungol that it makes him laugh, right? That, that he finds Sam funny, right? And I think that that's part of it. And I don't, I'm not trying to downplay that. We know, and uh, somebody was uh, pointing out before, though I forget who it was, um, that that's a really important thing for Frodo. Right. Especially the closer they get uh, to Mordor. Um, that's what he does. Like at that moment, he laughs right on the stairs of Kirith Ungol. He busts out laughing, laughing so that the laughter is echoing around 
the mountains, right? The mountains of shadow. Um, and Sam is both a little freaked out, like, oh my gosh, somebody's going to hear us, right? He has a, a little moment of fear um, hearing how clearly the, the sound of Frodo's laughter is echoing around. But at the same time, he's very conscious of the fact that laughter like that, just merry laughter, can probably not have been heard in those mountains for century upon century, right? Um, anyway, so it's clear that it's very, um, it's very, it's very good um, for for Frodo, right, to be laughing, and that's a very, um, that's a very important thing. But is that it? He's merely comic relief, right? Um, I'm going to be very interested in looking at Sam as, um, you know, commentator, right? Um, what do we get from the Gamgee peanut gallery, right, uh, as we go through the rest of book two here especially? Um, I think that's going to be really interesting to see. And it's going to culminate, I believe, um, in at Parthgallon. At Par when Sam speaks up, at Parth Gowan and sets everybody straight. It is good, is I think sort of the 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 culmination of that whole sort of shape of things here. Um but um yeah, yeah. I think we'll get there before twenty forty, JJ. I feel confident. It'll be it'll be I I I think it'll be in the thirties when we get there. We'll be fine. Um Yeah, good. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyway, all right. Um, let's get back to Bill. The stay in Rivendell had worked a great wonder of change on him. You'll remember, of course, when we first met Bill the Pony. Um, uh, we first met Bill the Pony. They had just they'd bought him off of Bill Fernie, who uh, you remember their very first doubts about him. Right, Frodo was expressing the doubt. Uh, like, is it safe to buy a pony from? Bill Fernie, and his first thought was, will the pony betray us, right? Um, will it, you know, go off with all our stuff or help in tracking us or something, right? That, like, that, that uh, Bill Fernie was selling them a pony to be a mole uh, in, their, in, their, in their companionship, right? Um, uh, and, and that's uh, a, an interesting idea, a strange idea. I, a plain expression of Frodo's uh, doubt and uncertainty. You'll remember the, ex the, the perspective that he articulates and that the narrator articulates on his behalf, on Frodo's behalf as well, um, while he's in Bree, that sense of, like, everybody being against us and I'm beginning to suspect everybody, right? Um, you, can, you can hear those kinds of suspicions coming out there. Um, but... Um, but of course, you'll also recall that Strider's response was, yeah, no, there's no way. Like, a pony would have to be complicit with Bill Fernie in order to do that. Um, or, as of course you will recall, Strider more uh, uh, tersely saying, I can't imagine uh, any beast returning to him once it got away, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, it's not, uh, there's, 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 there's no pony out there who's going to be a willing collaborator, uh, with Bill Fernie. Um, and instead the fear is that the pony's probably at death's door because he's treated it so badly. Um, and indeed it was a poor starved, 
uh, poor half-starved creature uh, when they got him. Um, but he didn't look like dying quite yet, right? That was the great word of praise uh, that was um, uh, that was given there. And Drowsnake and Hrothgar were just asking exactly the question, and Dan, that I don't know the answer to either, and I was hoping some, some of you could help me with, because I've never understood it. How do we understand Sam's impulse to name the pony Bill? Why does he call him Bill? I, I, I don't think I've ever understood that, actually. Um, it, it kind of Bill as he should have been, <laughs> says Air 84. <laughs> right, JJ was thinking the same thing. I mean, yeah, Bill's like short for Bill's pony. Um, I, yeah. Um, right, yeah. Barry Adir is saying maybe they called him Bill's Pony for a while and then it got shortened to Bill. But I can't imagine. Um, I can't imagine that Sam referred to him as Bill Fernie's Pony, like, you know, Bill's Pony. Um, once they bought him, he's not Bill's Pony. I mean, like the pony we liberated from Bill Fernie. Right. I mean, we know Sam's attitude towards Bill Fernie. Right. Bill uh, Sam's. Sam's perspective on Bill Fernie um, is eloquently articulated with an apple to the face, right? Um, he thinks very little of Bill Fernie. Um, and clearly, not just because he's, um, uh, because he's Bill Fernie, I mean, is a spy uh, and, you know, a, a thoroughly disreputable character. Um, I think Sam beans him in the face with an apple um, in part uh, because of how he treated Bill the Pony, right? I mean that, you know, he's, he, Sam has clearly made friends with Bill the Pony already, right? Before they leave Bree. So like within the first hour, uh, he's already, um, he's already, um, he's already made friends with him. Um, and is already taking his part against his former master, right? So I have a really hard time imagining him identifying him, uh, Sam identifying the pony with Bill Fernie, even in his head, you know, and certainly not with his name, right? Um, it always seems to me that... Um, uh, I, I just... I've always struggled with this because I have such a hard time think I, I, I imagining that way myself. You know, if I were in anything like a parallel situation, the very last thing I would want to do is like connect the pony to the horrible environment from which I had just helped rescue him. Right. Um, I would want myself to forget that connection and to encourage the pony to forget that suggestion. Um, Rather than calling him the name of his previous master, anyway, so I, it's just I, I can't imagine doing it. Um, but um, uh, yeah, Matt says I always took it as Sam redeeming the name, um, and um, yeah, I wonder. Um, I do think this is the first reference to his name. This paragraph right here that we're reading. Bill, as he called him, would pine. Right? Um, so maybe it suggests... Um, 
maybe it suggests that he didn't name him that right away. You know, he like on day one when he first met him and was making friends with him, he wasn't like, what shall I name you? I think I'll call you Bill after your master. Right. I don't think that's what happened. It sounds like I mean, we're only told about it now. That doesn't mean it just now happened, um, but it is possible. Kurtzimus, I think you must be right. I, I, I've I, always had that vague impression. Kurtzimus suggests that this is some kind of subtle hobbit humor. Um, yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I this, It seems to me, it feels to me like a joke I'm not getting. Um, or just like a way I'm not used to thinking. Um, I don't know if this is like an English thing. Um, if this is part of the whole hobbitry thing. Right. You know, like where you tease people and and like the more affection you feel for them, the more of a hard time you give them. Right. We see the hobbits doing this. Um, uh, I, yeah, the best I've ever had is a vague sense that maybe something like that is going on that I'm just like, I'm just I'm not I'm not tracking with it for the same reason that like my first impulse is not to insult my friends in the way that like Mary and Frodo do with each other and stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Almaria, exactly. Something a little dark and funny, right? Like slightly dark, slightly funny. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, Drasnik, hmm. We have not seen Sam engaging in much hobbitry so far. no, But, hmm. Now, in part, I've always felt that that was because Sam does not, at least at the beginning, does not consider himself an equal to the others, right? Um, think about the exchange. Think about the exchange with um, in Three's Company, right? When Pippin is teasing Sam, Right. When he's waking Sam up and saying, you know, have you got the water hot? Remember that? And Sam jumps up and is like, no, I'm sorry, sir. I haven't, sir. Right. Um, and then Frodo dumps Pippin out of his blankets. Right. Um, Pippin's teasing Sam. Frodo is then not letting Pippin get away with it. Right. Um, but Sam doesn't. Um, doesn't tease back, right? Okay, so Dan uh, bringing us some uh, uh, real-life first-person British humor insight says one doesn't generally banter with one's animals. Well, that's true. It is true. Um, I suppose it's a narrow subset of British humor, right? Uh, I suppose. Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, I don't know that Sam is like above... Hobbitry. And I think, um, um, yeah, Sam's There Ain't No Eves at Bag End, and that's a fact comment isn't exactly hobbitry, not in the same tone. It's not like, um, it's not like Mary's, um, it was a compliment and therefore not true line, right? Um, it's not quite like that. Um, the closest I think that Sam is gonna get, um, with the company is going to be the comment he's going to make, and this isn't too far away. Okay, it's a little far away. Uh, on the flat, um, uh, 
you know, the less said, the, you know, the, the, that line about the less said, the sooner he'll fall asleep if you take me, right? the, the sooner I will drop, you know, when I do drop off, I'll go on sleeping, you know, whether I roll off or no. Um, that whole sequence, um, he's, but it's, it still doesn't have the same tone. He's being deferential there to Pippin uh, still. Um, I agree that Sam with his buddies at the tavern is where we would have the best chance at hobbitry. Um, and we don't hear it because the only pe- person we see him drinking with down the pub uh, is his mortal enemy, <laughs> Ted Sandyman, right? With whom he's not going to interact like this. So, um, um, so yeah, I don't think we can say that Sam doesn't do it, but he's certainly not going to do it to Frodo. Um, and I think he's... Uh, um, I, th- I think we're going to get there. I think the further we go on, the, you know where I do think we actually hear something of it? From Sam to Merry and Pippin is on the field of Cormallon, actually. I think the more we go on, the closer Sam is going to get in tone to a sort of a reciprocal hobbitry with them. Um you know, well, if it isn't Merry and Pippin, that that line is the is the uh, is the one I'm thinking of there. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, we'll see. Anyway, um, yes, Bill Fernie is human, definitely human, Marinia, definitely. Um, yeah, so we'll see. Sam Sam's Sam's profile is going to grow, and his own comfort with that um, is going to grow. Yeah, Ray, you are totally right. Um, Sam's cock robin uh, comment to Robin Smallborough. That, there you go. There you go. He does use it. That's straight up hobbitry, right? Um, because Robin Smallborough is absolutely on his level. Again, I think he'll eventually get there or get close to that. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting, yet Kieran and JJ were both just saying, I think Sam gets closest to hobbitry with Gollum. Um, yeah, I think we are going to hear something of hobbitry with Gollum. I'm think, I, are you guys thinking, I immediately think of the fish and chips conversation, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that, uh, and so yeah, he and, he and Gollum, he, he does consider Gollum his peer after a fashion, because they're both Frodo's servants, except he feels that Gollum is an untrustworthy servant and therefore offensive in several ways, I think. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, Yeah, yeah. But I agree. I agree. Um, Amanda, it's going to be fascinating to look at Sam kind of uh, uh, tone switching, um, uh, you know, code switching, right, when he talks to Gollum uh, compared to when he talks to, to Frodo. So, yeah, that'll be that'd be really interesting. Oh man. Yeah. I've been rereading Lord of the Rings again. I mentioned that and I'm in the two towers now and, uh, I keep coming to passages and I'm like, Oh man, this is going to be so awesome. I can't wait to do this slide. We'll get there. We'll get there anyway. Okay. Um, back to Bill. So I don't know why he calls him Bill. Some kind of like dark humor. I think it's some kind of dark humor. Um, and Matt, I like your suggestion about a kind of, um, um, a kind of redemption, right? A kind of redemption of the name Bill. Um, I think it's not just dark humor. I think that's, that's definitely a dark humor element of it there. Um, again, even I, 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 a sort of hobbitry joking 
you know, like I'm going to I'm going to call you Bill after the name of your dear old master. Right. Um, whom you remember so fondly kind of teasing. Right. Um, uh, as a way of I could see that as a way of Sam thinking about and talking to even the you know, he talks to Bill. I mean, obviously we're going to see him talk to Bill. Right. Uh, in like the next slide. Um, but um, but at the same time, uh, he's. Um, I can see him doing that in that same kind of tone of hobbitry. Like he's uh, it's how hobbits process serious things. Right. And the serious neglect and abuse that Bill the Pony experienced at Bill Fernie's hands is going to be a very serious matter to Sam. And he's going to need to process that and that he would process that with humor um, seems very Hobbit like indeed. Right. Um, so I could see him kind of deflecting that in some way by calling him Bill, like, oh, I'll call you Bill after your after your dear old master or something like that. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I love that observation, Lady Lakata, how in two sentences Bill went from being a poor beast uh, to uh, having the vigor of youth. Exactly. Um, uh, he was gloss. Yeah, the, the poor beast is the one on the, the previous, right? None other than the poor beast that they had brought from Bree. And the reference to him as poor beast um, is a sort of... Um, uh, I think a double emphasis on his, pre we're being reminded of his previous state, right? His poverty, which is ironic because he was extremely expensive, right? Um, but the, the poverty, not the, like, necessarily the, um, you know, the financial penury necessarily, though Bill Fernie doesn't seem to be enormously wealthy, um, seeming to not get that many actual financial offers for his own mother, apparently. Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, um, he was, uh, certainly it was a, uh, a, a, a morally poor, right? He was poor. Bill himself, Bill the Pony was poor, um, in the sense that he was raised clearly on, uh, short commons and, uh, treated very poorly. Um, but then, this day in Rivendell had worked a great wonder of change, right? So that transformation, Lady Lakata, that you were talking about, from poor beast to the vigor of youth, right, is the great wonder of change, right? He uh, ha is uh, miraculously restored. He was glossy and seemed to have the vigor of youth. Um, and it was Sam who had insisted on choosing him, declaring that Bill, as he called him, would pine if he did not come. Um, Sam, who is, tells everybody exactly what Bill is thinking, right? He knows what Bill is thinking. That animal can nearly talk and would talk if he stayed here much longer, right? I mean, he's only been here a few months and, uh, it's worked this physical miracle of change upon him, right? And if he stayed for a few more months, you know, Next thing you know, he's going to be Basfaloth, right? Um, you know, you're going to be able to, uh, you know, shout to him and, you know, give him a command from, from a distance, right? Yeah, he's been elvenized. Exactly. Exactly. Um, um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, would talk if he stayed here much longer. He gave me a look as plain as Mr. Pippin could speak it. If you don't let me go with you, Sam, I'll follow on my own. Is that a piece of hobbitry right there, actually? I never really thought of that this way. But he's kind of teasing Pippin there, isn't he? I mean, it's gentle. It's gentle, right? Um, but he's comparing the pony to Pippin, but he's, he's also comparing Pippin to the pony, right? Which, which is, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think, I think there is, I think there is a little hobbitry. I think he's teasing Pippin there. Um, um, and you're right, JJ, showing how much he respects Pippin. If Sam, uh, rates him as, as, as highly as he rates the pony. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I do think there's some, there's some friendly ribbing going on there, um, in saying that, uh, uh, you know, the pony reminded him of Pippin, right? Um, he gave me a look as plain as Mr. Pippin could speak it. If you don't let me go with you, I'll follow on my own. Um, Bill, so who, think of the pool of people, right? Think of the company as a whole, right? Gandalf is going on this quest because it's his job, right? Um, he's got a promotion. We talked about Gandalf being promoted to interim white wizard already, Right, uh, he's interim white wizard, but he hasn't been officially given the full title, and the, and he hasn't gotten the uniform yet. Um, but he's interim white wizard at this point, so he's going to go. Um, this is going to be his his great task, and perhaps the end of his uh, the end of his uh, you know the the end of his uh, um, uh, you know of his of his burdens. Um, we've got Aragorn, who's also got a job. Right, he is departing. He's headed to Minas Tirith uh, to claim the kingship. Right, um, not to cause any trouble, but to to go help the people. He's being summoned to Gondor uh, to help the people of Gondor resist Sauron, just as the people of Gondor resisted Sauron of old at the War of the Last Alliance. Right, Boromir, of course, going back home. He did his job. Got the meaning of the riddle. Is bringing the sword that was broken back home with him. Um, all's well. Mostly well with Boromir. Um, we've got Legolas and Gimli, who aren't actually coming. They're just traveling with them partway. Right? I, that's going to change. But uh, at the outset, that's the mindset here. Right? Um, and, uh, and then you've got the hobbits. Frodo is taken up the quest of the ring. Right? He has sworn to take the ring uh, to Mount Doom. Sam has been charged to go with him. Sam, who, of course, uh, and that's, of course, the, the funny thing is that the, the other parallel, the even more obvious parallel, is not Pippin. It's Sam himself, right? Um, you know, Sam, who comes to the Secret Council, whether he was invited to it or not, and, um, uh, you know, leaps up to ensure that Frodo is not forced to go alone, right? Um, 
And then you've got Merry and Pippin, who insist on coming out of loyalty to Frodo. So all three of the other hobbits, Sam first, and then Merry and Pippin second, are there because they are um, loyal to Frodo. It's out of their loyalty to Frodo that they're going, right? Um, and um, uh, they're the only ones who are setting out on this quest out of devotion. But I think the key thing, Ray, and I think you're absolutely right there, um, I think that the key thing is Sam is to Frodo as Bill is to Sam. Yes. And we can see this in Sam's first comment here, right? It's Sam. Bill doesn't want Sam to go along, right? Um, Bill's um, Bill's loyalty is is not to Frodo, right? Bill's loyalty is to Sam, um, and uh, he Sam betrays that in his Mister Pippin comment, right? He gave me a look as plain as Mister Pippin could speak it. If you don't let me go with you, Sam, I'll follow on my own. And again, he's kind of paraphrasing. Pippin. Um, I mean, Pippin did say that he would go along with the company unless you chained him up, right? Um, but of course, it's also um, the, you know, the devotion with which he describes Bill as wanting to follow him, Sam, on the journey is uh, really most like the devotion of Sam. Um, notice also the element of self-sacrifice here on Bill's part, I mean, right? Taking Sam at his word here that he is in fact reading Bill's mind correctly, right? That he is correctly interpreting uh, Bill's uh, signals here, right? Um, there's, there is some equine self-sacrifice going on here. Um, Bill has undergone this miraculous change in Rivendell, right? Um, to say that Bill the Pony has never had it so good is a mere nothing compared with the reality, right? Um, and he's giving up safety, security, and, you know, I mean, like, he's he is clearly... Bill is living, again, even to call it Bill living, Bill the Pony living his best life is an absurd understatement, right? Uh, Bill in Rivendell with this miraculous change. And even this perception that Sam has of even his sort of spiritual augmentation as well, right? He's, it's not just that his coat is glossy uh, and he seems strong and vigorous. Um, he's, he'll be talking soon if he stays here much longer, right? Uh, uh, Bill is increasing in stature um, as the hobbits themselves will increase in stature as we will see um, um, yeah exactly Bjorn Sonner it is a, a, the, the radical change right from uh, uh, the mistreatment his mistreatment and neglect uh, by Bill Fernie uh, to um, you know all of the best in the Valley of Rivendell 
uh, is uh, is just amazing. It's, it's it is almost a, a a little salvation metaphor, like going from from hell to heaven. I agree. I agree. Um, and um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, Ray, I can't wait for the scene with the goodbye to Bill scene before Moria. Um, I'm very consciously trying to set up several things for when we get there, because that's a that's a very powerful scene. We learn a lot about Sam Gamgee in that scene, I think. Um, and Matt, you're absolutely right that uh, we see some similarities, right? Sam is also the one who acts like a beast of burden throughout the story, always taking more than his share of the weight and squirreling away items in his bag to present triumphantly later, which we're going to get in, in uh, uh, very soon. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. He uh, uh, and and remember, it's not even um, that's not just there. There are jokes about that um, at Frodo's expense, mostly when they're setting out from Bag End back in Chapter Three. Um, but we know this to be an objective fact um, because Aragorn notes it, right? Um, without the context of uh, um, of the teasing, the you know the hobbitry um, back in the Shire, um, Aragorn. Knows notices that it's Sam's pack that's missing in Parthgallon uh, because it was rather large and heavy, right? Um, so yes, he does take on himself to be the beast of burden. Um, there is a, um, you know, TKP. Um, um, your name, I want to say TPK, but that's a completely different and much less pleasant thing, no doubt. Um, uh, unless you're the DM. But anyway, um, yes, but I agree with you. Bill is Sam's only peer in the fellowship. That's true. That's true. The two of them are beasts of burden. They're, they're, they're both servants, right? Um, there's fellow feeling towards Bill from Sam, right? And I don't mean that. I'm certainly not meaning to, obviously I'm not demeaning Bill, but I'm not demeaning Sam either, right? Um, there's a, uh, there's a, I think that's a very real thing. That's one of the reasons we see Sam talking to Bill, I think. Um, uh, because he's, he's, he's comfortable with Bill in a way in which he's not comfortable with other people in the party. And keep in mind, this itself is another little cue that we get, right? Um, Who are the, who's the rest of the party? Right? Who's the rest of the party? You got Gandalf the Grey, right? Big time wizard dude. Well, sorry, Gandalf the Interim White. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of nobility around Jackie, isn't there? Right? You know, you've got Gimli, big deal, right? Son of Glow and the really big deal in Erebor. Um, Legendary big deal, especially in the Hobbit world, where they've been listening to Bilbo stories all the time, right? You've got Legolas, right? Son of Thranduil. You've got Aragorn, say no more. Turns out to be the heir of long-lost heir of Gondor, right? You've got Boromir, um, and then you've even got Merry and Pippin, who are like little Hobbit princelings as well. Um, you know, the heirs of their of the you know two greatest families in the Shire. So, yeah. Yeah, and then you got Frodo. Um, Sam is the only, you know, blue-collar 
person <laughs> in the entire fellowship. Um, and Bill is, and I, and I know it seems demeaning to say that Bill the Pony is his peer, right? I don't mean it to be demeaning at all. I mean it to be, first of all, there is, there is a certain fact there. Everybody, he's looking up at everybody else and well aware of the fact that he's looking up at everybody else, right? Um, that's one element. There are two elements here. But let me sit on this element for a little bit more. And this, I think, is another thing that's really important about the fact that we hear so much of Sam's talk, right? Um, because remember, who else is who else is looking up at everybody else in this story? All of us, right? I, I'm I'm not a Hobbit princeling or an elven princeling, or a dwarvish. No, either, right? Yeah, no, exactly, Valori. Sam is us. Sam is us, right? And not just in class, not just in, like, socioeconomic class, either, right? We're looking up at Gandalf, for crying out loud, and Aragorn. Holy cow. Even Boromir. These people are huge, right? So we're at the Hobbit level, looking up at the big people, right? But even the other Hobbits, even Frodo himself, has has this has has gotten a little bit of an aura of awe about him since the council, right? Um, I mean that speech that Elrond does at the end about Frodo taking his place in the elf friend pantheon and stuff, right? I mean, like Frodo's kind of a big deal, and the narrative has has in this way prompted us to start to think of Frodo. Oh, almost like um, Sam has always thought of Frodo, right? So um, anyway, that's um, um, we are very much, Drasnik, as you say, at the Sam register. Um, we're very much at the Sam register. And that's um, that's a big deal. You know, that's uh, uh, that's a really important framing mechanism for us. And so I, I think that's another thing that makes Sam's extra lines, right? All of those, the, the commentary that we get from him, the cues that we as readers, sort of the, the kind of emotional cues in some ways that we receive from him, from Sam, right? It fits. We, we're, we're operating on Sam's level, looking up at everybody, even the other hobbits we're looking up at, right? Um, not as far up. They're not like legendary heroes like Aragorn, right? Um but we're still looking up at them. Um, but Sam, we see eye to eye. So the fact that Sam is looking up at people is an important element in the story and gives Sam a, a crucially important role during, the, again, especially during book two here, during the quest of the company before the breaking of the fellowship. And um, But there's, I said there were two things. That's one thing, is that it's important that Sam is looking up. Um, the other thing that, the other way in which this is not an insult to Sam to say that Bill is his only peer in the company is that it is also an important sign of um, sign of, pointer to um, his humility right why where do we get the idea that Bill is Sam's peer from Sam because that's how Sam treats him right Sam totally could. Um, so Bill was going as the beast of burden 
So Bill was going as the beast of burden, the narrator says, right? Um, he could treat Bill like a beast of burden. That's would be totally... He, he wouldn't be a terrible person if he treated Bill the Pony as, you know, a pony instead of a peer, right? But he does treat him as a peer. And that, though it may say something about how awesome Bill the Pony is, says even more about how awesome Sam is, right? Or it, to say that another way, tells us something about the quality of the awesomeness of Sam as a character, right? Sam's humility is one of his most important features, one of the things that makes Sam the hero of the book. Um, the fact that he looks at the Beast of Burden and immediately elevate He doesn't just elevate him from poor beast, right, um, to, you know, healthy, loved, and accepted member of the family, right? That by itself is a big deal, right? That would be a lot for him to do and for him to accomplish. But he doesn't just do that, right? He treats him, he treats him like a peer, right? He treats him like a friend. Um, and I think that's, um, again, it's very revealing about Sam. Um, and Trifle, you're very right that it's an interesting parallel with his treatment of Gollum. Right, um, Sam's treatment of Gollum is going to be a subject of much discussion. Um, that is one of the places. There are lots of individual passages, as I say, as I'm reading through the parts of the Lord of the Rings that we shall get to before too long. Um, as I'm reading through those, there's a whole bunch of places where I'm like, oh man, this is such a meaty passage. I can't wait till we get here to talk about this. But there are other parts of the book where I say, I'm going to be so glad that we're not skipping any sentences when we get to this part. Um, this is, this is going to be a place where studying as carefully as we're studying is going to really pay off. Um, and Sam's treatment of Gollum is high on my list. Um, of uh, Sam throughout book four, really, is going to be a fascinating study. Um, but uh, anyway, so we'll see. We'll see when we get there. But for now, we get Sam and Bill. Um, okay. Last comment here. I think it very possible that Sam is completely and objectively correct in his assessment of Bill the Pony here. I think that Sam... Um, I, I saw some folks, I think, who are horse people uh, uh, among our crowd here tonight um, who, um, uh, who have said that, you know, ponies like this can in fact, have a lot of personality uh, with this, and I totally believe it. I totally, I totally believe it. Um, but, um, uh, but, I think it's also very possible that Sam is projecting here. And I don't think the less of either Sam or Bill for it. I believe that Bill is genuinely attached to Sam. Um, I don't think Sam is fooling himself. I'm not trying to undermine 
the Bill Sam relationship when I'm saying this, but um, I have a sneaking feeling that the things that Sam tells us about what Bill is thinking tells us even more about what Sam is thinking and feeling than it tells us about what Bill is thinking and feeling. He may be right. He may be quite right about what Bill is thinking. Um, but I think we're... Um, Sam doesn't talk about himself as much. You know, he's not going to uh, share, you know, uh, very frequently and gets embarrassed when he does. Um, uh, yeah. That's a... F uh, Lupita, I will take that as a fair compromise. Um Maybe not only projecting, but it's easier to recognize in others what we ourselves are feeling. Yes, at the very least, what we are hearing is him actively resonating with Bill, right? Those are the things that he's picking up from Bill most clearly. Yeah, that might be a better way to think about it. Again, I'm not trying to say Sam is delusional about Bill, right? Actually, poor Bill is like, you know upset about being forced to leave Rivendell and like Sam's got him all wrong and, and inside Bill is like, no, don't make me go. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that would be horrible. I'm not trying to suggest that. Um, but um, I am uh, um, but I do think that his words about Bill's, what he believes to be Bill's thoughts tell us at least as much about Sam's own thoughts. Um, if you don't let me go with you, Sam, I'll follow on my own. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nancy says, if Bill really felt that way, I'm sure Gandalf would let us know. Uh, yes, I suspect Gandalf would have tried harder to talk Sam out of bringing Bill. Um, had Gandalf himself been independently convinced that Bill was in fact desperate not to be dragged out of Rivendell and off on this journey. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, so anyway, um, notice the narrator whom I am about 98% confident is Frodo. Look at the, the comment that he tacks on to the end. So Bill was going as the beast of burden. F hang on, pause. Notice what's odd about that? Was going as the beast of burden. As opposed to some other reason, right? Uh, this it, it, it doesn't it does imply Bill has a choice, Jarosnake. That's exactly it. It's like Bill has volunteered to take on the role of Beast of Burden, right? He he could have chosen, you know, he could have they could have taken Bill as their guide, right? You know, like Gandalf was their guide. He could have been like Gandalf's understudy. Um, he, he he could have right. He could have gone as the cook, right? But no, no, no. Um, He's volunteered generously. Bill has generously volunteered to go as the Beast of Burden. Um, uh, I love that. So Bill was going as the Beast of Burden, yet he was the only member of the company that did not seem depressed. Uh, the including of Bill as a member of the company um, is, of course, um, um, uh, charming, right? Uh, uh, and, and sort of showing that you know, Frodo as narrator is sort of playing along with Sam, right? Um, what I hear in that last sentence, so Bill was going as the beast of Burton, yet he was the only member of the company that did not seem depressed. Um, this sounds like Frodo 
as narrator, retroactively playing up to Sam's dialogue, right? Emphasizing, like making sure we don't miss the importance of Sam's dialogue, right? And the the kind of uh, uh, comedy of the thing, right? Um, he is representing the free ponies of Middle-earth, Hrothgar. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. He was the only member of the company that did not seem depressed. Um, the non... And notice what... Not only the tone that he's using, um, the sort of echoing of a kind of whimsical... Sam is not being whimsical. Sam is being completely serious, right? Um, Bill would pine if he did not come. He gave me a look as plain as Mr. Pippin could speak it. Sam's not joking, right? Sam's not joking. His talk makes Frodo laugh, Frodo will tell us later. But that doesn't mean that Sam is joking, all, you know, all the way through, that Sam is, you know, a source of comedy, like deliberate comedy, like he's, you know, a stand-up act or something. Right. Um, there's something else there to the laughter, which Sam excites. And it's not laughter at his expense. He's not the fool of the party either. He is neither a comedian, nor is he the fool. Um, yeah, Aird, I think that's a great way to say it. His earnestness charms Frodo to laughter. Yes, yes. There is... Um, delight in watching and listening to Sam Gamgee at work, right? Uh, a delight that the narrator is clearly taking. And I think that both thinking of the you know narrator as Tolkien writing the story and narrator as Frodo within the frame writing the story. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. Sam is, Sam is, Sam is joyful. Sam is joy. Yeah, Amareya, I agree with you. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Anna, they're all feeling depressed on this day. And here we should go back to, remember the, remember the description. Hang on a second. Let me, uh, let me go down, because, uh, yeah, here we go. This one. Remember? It was a cold gray day near the end of December. The east wind was streaming through the bare branches of the trees and seething in the dark pines on the hills. Ragged clouds were hurrying overhead, dark and low. As the cheerless shadows of the early evening began to fall, the company made ready to set out. Right? That's the scene. That's the unmerry Christmas that's being described here. Um, and uh, so, yeah, they're all very subdued. Right. They're all um, depressed. Right. Is the word that it's it's this is not this is not a cheerful scene. Right. Um, except for Bill. Bill's not depressed. Why? Bill's with Sam. Right. That's um, that's all Bill needs. It's all Bill needs. Um, Bill would pine if he couldn't come with Sam. So. But he can come. So he's not depressed. What does he have to be depressed about? He's with Sam. Um, what more could he want? To stay in equine heaven here in Rivendell? No. He's with Sam. Again, I, 
I, this tells us, I think, a lot about Sam, too. And I think also um, a lot about Frodo and what Sam does for Frodo as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Lupita, yeah, I, I think it's possible that Boromir um, was trying to sort of cheer them with his horn. Um, I think that's among the reasons why Boromir blows his horn. I don't think it's the only one, but I think it's among the reasons that he blows his horn. Um, and uh, But it doesn't seem to work, at least not long-term. Right. Um, and uh, admittedly, <laughs> Elrond's little prophecy uh, immediately afterwards might have killed any positive mood that was uh, kind of beginning there. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, I certainly agree Boromir's used to motivating folks with his horn. I think he's absolutely going to be thinking that way. But again, it, it's not going to work here. Um, they're not about to charge, right? This is, um, this is a scene that is outside the horn's idiom, right? He doesn't have a horn call for this occasion, right? I mean, apart from the fact that a horn call for setting out on a secret journey, uh, on a, on a, you know, top secret stealth mission is there's some deep irony to having a horn call for that. Right. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it doubtless does have an important impact on Gondorian morale when he blows his horn. Um, and we know that there is power in that horn. We know that it will affect people who hear it. And we'll see this when Elrond's prophecy comes true. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, um, but this is what Frodo needs, right? And certainly what Frodo appreciates in retrospect and picks up on that tone in his narration there. The only member of the company that did not seem depressed. And by the way, notice the other thing that he didn't actually say anywhere that everybody was depressed, right? It described the setting, the gloom of the, the gloom and oppressiveness of the day. Um, but he didn't tell us that all of the members of the company was depressed until there, right? Um, by pointing out that the pony is the only cheerful one, now he's told us, right? Now he's told us. All right. Um, we fortunately, and I think that we will all be glad of the fact that we will get another Bill the Pony passage. Indeed, we will continue um, with the same Bill the Pony passage next week when we return. Um, so more Bill the Pony. In fact, we will get next week, we will get the most significant conversational gambit by Bill the Pony. Um, his uh, most significant direct contribution um, to, uh, uh, to conversation, to dialogue. Um, in uh, the entire book, that's what's happening. Uh, that's what's happening next time. So I uh, I look forward to that. Um, remember, I'm gonna be um, I'm gonna be traveling. Um, so uh, I, my 
availability is going to start going in and out a little bit, but I should be here for each Tuesday. I'm not planning on missing um, any Exploring the Lord of the Rings for the next few weeks. I think I can, I think I can pull it through, um, though I'll be doing my weekend traveling. But it always makes things potentially a little, uh, a little interesting. So um, uh, we'll, we'll see. And also maybe, um, maybe next week I'll be, uh, um, I'll be, uh, who knows. Maybe we join. Maybe there'll be a cameo appearance by a, a special guest next week. Who knows? Um, but anyhow, yeah. Oh, so sorry, Hologram. There is going to be Grifflet this week. I'm doing Grifflet this week, but not the next two weeks after that. So, um, yeah. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll do field trip time now, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get um, I'm gonna get my Lotro back together, which I lost when I lost my internet there briefly um so um give me just a second here i'm gonna mute myself because it's gonna be horrible i don't i don't want to bust anybody's eardrums out hang on one second All right. Okay, here, we got it set up here. I think we're good. I got to get back in here. Um, if I can get everything together. All right, here we go. All right. Now we're getting back into gear. And this evening, we are going to, there we go, back in action. Hey there, Valori. How you doing? Hey, yeah, sorry, I apologize. We're, um, uh, I'm okay, so you can hear me okay? My audio is coming across to you all right? Uh, yes, my, my, I can hear you just fine. Can you hear me okay? Yes, yes, that's good, but, um. Yeah, my um, internet is a potato. That's oh what it is. Goodness. It's just that's not anything like a strong enough word for what is happening with my internet tonight. Um, as if to take vengeance upon me for thinking I had fixed it. Um, oh dear. But uh, anyway, okay. All right. Well, that's me, really uh, interesting. Sort people into groups. Yeah. Okay. Um, let us um all right so let us see so what what tonight we are going to go on a special field trip um so i hope that we're gonna yeah we're gonna have i'm gonna have a good recording of this um which i'll upload to youtube afterwards um for those of you who are not able to see good video right now so my apologies for that um but it's going to be especially important tonight because we're going to get to go to a place I've never seen before. We're going to go to the new part of the Trollshaws. So 
let's travel to Ostgaruth if we can. So I'm just going to go out. Um, I'm just going to stable out there. So let's go to South Bree. And uh, if you have a you know milestone or whatever to Ostgaruth, you can get there out in uh, the Lone Lands. But I'm just going to I'm just going to hit the stable to go out there. So with a new update, they basically uh, undiscovered all of your stables. Yes, so, um, exactly. If, so, yeah, we even can't, if you're not uh, in game right now, highly recommend going back to the Troll Shaws and relearning all of your new stables and and you know and finding some of the new ones too. Which uh, exactly. I, I love. There's another one in Rivendell, right in front of the last homely house. That's a nice change. There's a new one in Rivendell. Oh mm -hmm. no way! You don't yep. have to gallop across Rivendell anymore. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to go across the log oh. bridge anywhere. <laughs> oh. Okay, side trip. Yeah. Side trip. Yeah, oh my no. <laughs> it takes three bridges out of your Rivendelling practice. Oh man. <laughs> Never to have to cross a bridge in Rivendell again? Or no, you there? have to cross one. Do you? Yeah, yeah. From, from that stable master to the house, but that's the only one. Okay. Yep. Well, still, that's much better. That's a much lower percentage of bridges. Oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah, that's a huge... That's huge. Um, okay. okay. I wonder how many hours of my life I have spent galloping across Rivendell between the last homely house and the stable master. Days. Okay, let's see. Uh, Oscar Ruth, there we are. Okay. So another thing I was thinking about Bill the Pony, though, is uh, Bill seems Bill and William seem to be pretty common nicknames for hobbits. There's like four Wills sure. and a you know, couple of, couple of Bill Bows, Bill Buzz, Bill B, whatever. Mm -hmm. So possibly it's just like like how you know just you'd need something of Fred or or. Joe or something. It's just one. It might just be one of those common names that comes to your head. My yes. other idea is if they just called it Bill's Pony, and after a while they just dropped. See, I doubt it. I doubt that though. Like that one, I was talking about that. That one, I think is because like that, I can't imagine Sam doing. I can't imagine Sam, like, you know, actually because he's the pony who was like neglected by Bill and has been set free from Bill Fernie. Yeah. So I can't imagine him calling him that, but but it certainly is a common common enough name, right? I mean, it's it's not um, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be strange at all uh, for him to. Um, oh yeah, so Dover Stork, we're traveling from the Bree Stables to Ostgaruth in the Lone Lands is where we just were. So we're headed to the last bridge. And then my, my third theory is because you said you didn't quite get the humor, like was this hobbitry, was this not? Um, yeah. It seems like. The one guy who's really, really bad at hobbitry is Strider. Right, that's like, true. We've seen a couple instances where he's yeah. trying to be funny, and it just kind of yeah, falls he, flat. He tries. Like, it's not. It's not good. You get the feeling like maybe he started calling Pony Bill as a joke, and you know everyone sort of, sort of politely laughed, but the name stuck. Right. <laughs> An incompetent piece of uh, uh, hobbitry that they. Uh, we're sort of humoring him on. Yeah, but we love him because he tries. He does. He does try. He's the, he's the dad joke guy. An attempt was made. An attempt was made, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. as opposed to Elrond, who nails it every time. Elrond is good. Gandalf is, it's like his native language. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, Aragorn, he does try. He does try. Yeah. You know, you, you definitely get the feeling he'd be doing the jokes in front of his kids in the future, and they're just going, Dad, stop! <laughs> you don't get it. You think you get it, but you don't get it. Come on, I'm cool. I'm jiggy with it. Dad! <laughs> yes. Okay. All right, so I'm looking... Is the bridge itself different? No. No, okay. It was just coming into resolution yeah. there. Okay. It looked different for a second, but then it, then it snapped back into shape. Yeah, I, I think that resolution speed. This one fell off. Oh, I thought you were rubber banding there. You were just waiting for us. <laughs> I'm sitting yeah, so no, I was, um, Yeah, I'm, I've fallen behind because I was stopping to look at the uh, signpost. Yep, new stable. New stable over here. Come and get some. Okay, looking around, but of course it's dark, so. All right. The new stable master. Interesting that they didn't put him in the same outfit. He doesn't have that green shirt with the weird crest yeah. on it that I can't figure out. Yeah, he's wearing this regal purple with uh, kind of dragon scale pattern stamped on his yeah, leather armor. Yeah, the dragon scale thing, yeah. They've done that to a lot of the stable masters, changed out some of the NPCs, dudes for ladies, and also gave them fancy clothes. I like the dudes for ladies part, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I love these clothes. I mean, he's not going to blend in anywhere here, but uh, he looks I really don't cool. get where his boots stop and his pants start. The the silver around his kneecaps, are those inserts in his boots? Or are those sewn onto his pants? Yeah, I think he's got two-tone trousers. Maybe they're for yeah. riding. Maybe they just have like leather patches on him for riding so he doesn't wear them out. Yeah, they look like patches or something. Yeah. It's like chaps, but in reverse. You're right, elf chaps, exactly. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. I think it's because yeah, you can see the le the se the weather seams there. Uh huh. Yeah. Hmm. It uh, indicates he's less worried about the crotch wearing out and more worried about brambles and thorns and low branches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, knee and uh, like lower part of the thigh protection or, you know, around the knee, basically. Yep. Um, I got nettles out here. Uh, okay. All right. Um, I'm overthinking this again. And the scales are a strange shape. They're like diamond shape, almost. They're not like yeah. rounded. You know, they're not like yeah. actual yeah. scales. Yeah, it makes me think it's a stamped on pattern. Yeah, maybe. Huh. And the detail on his shirt, uh, the mm -hmm. like the point art there on his shirt. Mm. Oh, and you're That's right, Emmathorn. The uh, stable master's horse is uh, decked Hello, out pretty horse. fancy here as well. Yeah, 
I think, is that the horse you get when you have friendship with Rivendell? I don't Similar. recognize it, but then again, I don't think I got a Rivendell steed. The irony is if you actually take the Stable Master to Rivendell, it will give you an elk to ride. An elk? Yeah. Oh, cool. Most of the Trollshaws Stable Masters uh, use elk now. That is really? really cool. Okay, yeah, so confirmed that this is the prized Rivendell horse that we're seeing. All right, look, yeah, there, uh, uh, Almarea, look, is, is riding it. Right next to it. Very cute. Oh, there she, it is. she's riding like a high elf. There we go. There you go. There it is. Okay. Very good, Almarea. Everybody's That's popping it. theirs right now. Whoa. <laughs> I think hey, we're all JJ, looking at that, the same time. Weird. JJ just put a screenshot of the stable master that he's seeing, who is dressed completely differently from the stable master that I'm seeing. Hmm. That's a client-based thing. Uh, that's also a thing. Yes. Really. Interesting. Are these like, if we, if I go back and come back in again, will he be different for me? Like Probably, those, yeah. Like the, like those NPCs that freaked me out in Gondor when I came mm -hmm. back from my quest and turned in my yeah. quest, and they, and it was like a different person, and I, yeah. like, I, th I thought it was an imposter, and I was waiting for the follow-up quest where I had to discover what happened to the real farmer, uh, that I went back to. Okay. All right, all right. Not Barry Deer. Barry Deer is always the same drow snake, but uh, it was it was before that. Okay, wow, yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's it's like yeah. the horses at the prancing pony stables. They're also client based, so what I would see is different than what you would see. Interesting. Huh. Huh. Fascinating. Okay, um, all right. So I'm um, first. I'm gonna look at the map. Okay, it's sadly... map quite different. We have the scouts' camp. We have Nantornaith. We have Thorinhad. Okay. Um, right. Brocken's camp. What's this? Gyrond? Yeah, that? I've never. That's new. Okay, that'll have to be our first stop because that's. Barakin's camp was totally the first stable master in the Trollshaws before, and now it's the Absolutely. third on the way in. Um, okay, then uh, we've got the one on the High Moor. That was always, was, was that was always there, right? Was was nope. there stable? No, that was a camp, nope. but not a stable master, right? Yeah, a lot of these are camps that they turned into stable. Masters. Right, so there was no waypoint. There was no waypoint mm -hmm. uh, there. So yeah, yeah, okay, and then we have. Uh, the Tal Bruin, the or the Ahed Kandileth one, and that was the that was the most southern s southerly one before, wasn't it? Yep. Yep. Right. Okay. So we've got uh, all of these. Who's this guy? What? Tom Lumran, and then Tornhad, way down there. Okay. And Giant Valley. Interesting that. Some of my you've been here flags are still there. Like I've still got my flag on the Fort of Bruin and in two in Giant Valley, and then I five mean, of them still in Rivendell. Huh, yeah. But all the rest of them have been wiped. That's interesting. Um they had to basically rebuild because they rebuilt the entire map. And so this yeah. is the angle is like the add-on room to the house, so they had to rewire the entire house. Yeah, right. Now that makes sense. Makes sense. 
Um, okay, we still have the old Oregon map. Okay. All right. Okay, so let's... Then what we should do is we should head in... Oh, wait. Actually, you know, I didn't even notice the second Rivendell stable. There it is. The last homely house stable. So, Rivendell, of course, is like a major hub, right? Would you, you can travel to Rivendell from a bunch of different places. Um, mm -hmm. Which one do you travel to now? Which is the hub one? Is it the old one or is it the new Yeah, one? the old one is, is still the hub. And then once you're there, you can then pop over to the other oh, one. Pop over to the other one, right. Mm -hmm. Like going from Westbury to Southbury. Exactly. Another cool innovation that we'll find handy is um, you no longer have to have completed the story to go down to Gwingris or Ekad Dunan. As long as you've been there before and opened those Stable Masters, you can get there straight from the Rivendell Stables down there just with gold. It's, oh my god, it's so good. Right, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Okay, so let's go forward and then I'm taking the first right. I'm getting paranoid looking around for it because I know it's going to be sooner than I think because it's sooner than it was before. I'm always so blind. Okay. Finley, I gave up and just go into the scrub brush. Yeah. All right. Well, we're almost there. We're almost there. Okay, so here's our first intersection. Right. Oh. Okay, here we are. Headed south into the new country. Brave new world. Well, except isn't this a place? Didn't I was wasn't I over here killing boars back before they made a road? There was like a boar hunting quest, and there was. Uh, I think so. That's over in this stable. general area, but yeah, in the troll shots there was. Yeah. Okay. Look, now yeah. we have a new ruin. Oh, behold the new ruin. And. Wouldn't you know it? Given an opportunity to put a new ruin in, what did they put in? A new Eladan. elvish ruin, right? Oh. And that's really interesting because almost all of the ruins that we um, got... Man, look at all the <laughs> stable masters I don't have in the troll shots. Um, uh, just you know, seeing the list really brings it home to you. Um uh, anyway, almost all the ruins we see in the Trollshaws were Arnorian ruins. They were almost all Rudauran ruins. Almost every yeah. single one. Um, and so now we get an Elvish ruin. What's this? What, what are we doing here? Why do we? Why do we have an Elvish ruin here? And what kind of Elvish ruin is it? Okay, so from what era is this? D do we think this is a? Is this a, a Noldor of the Second Age ruin? Hmm. I'm seeing some sim similar things that we saw in um, Gwingris, quite frankly. Some of the applique and whatnot, like in Mirabel. Okay, yeah, I see some there. What I was looking for is this. So up in the corner here, um, the tall corner with the pillar in the middle, right? The yep. tallest part that's left standing. The inside of it, you're facing the inside of the pillar on the right-hand side is, there's some of the, that, like, gold inlay, like, kind of trellis yeah. gold inlay you can, you can see. Now, it's not, like, freestanding like we see in the domes, 
right? Yeah. That's the first thing I was looking for was some kind of evidence of that kind of trellis work with the domes, which like may or may not have had glass inside it um, yeah, the previously. Tracery. But um, uh, yeah, but that that um, definitely looks similar to it. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely looks closer to Echa Mirabel. The kind of the trim, the sort of leafy, vaguely leafy trim, green trim. Um, it's little alcoves before. Doesn't really look. It looks like the, these were places where you'd have statues here. Little plinths. Maybe. I'm just dismounting because I'm tired of looking at my horse's butt when I'm looking up. Um, okay. Sorry, looking at the food, right? Radishes, carrots, artichokes, cabbages, right? Turnips, like you do. Okay. Um, where are you seeing alcoves? Here, uh, near the tall pillar. Oh. Oh, like right. these look similar to where we have like yeah. uh, the forges or the little reflection pools, and we'd have like uh, uh, big statues. Right. Yeah. Like you could totally Normally. see a you could totally see a like a big old Gilgalad statue or uh huh something in one of those. Or, um, the thing it's the pillar itself that's kind of throwing me off because a lot of the rest of it does look like a Regian, but that pattern that like overlapping pattern there mm -hmm. um, with the, you know, that gold sort of decorative trim. Um, I... I don't see... I don't remember seeing any work like that on this, on the pillars in a Regian. <laughs> you know, actually looking yeah. at the Looking at that arch from this angle, that arch to the right, um, where you can see the gold filigree work and stuff. Um, from this angle, it looks like you can see either like uh, fruit or, or leaves that were yeah, sort of attached I, I to it. I can't decide whether that's fruit or just stain. Well, I think yes. it's both. I mean, I think it is like discoloration of the stone um, because whatever oh, like, was there is gone now, either rotted like away or is yeah. all that's left. Yeah, exactly. I think we can, I think what, what we're seeing is like the negative of it, basically, is kind of what it yeah. seems like. But um, but it does look like it's, and it's, that's reminding me of the, um, you know, of the uh, uh, the event space, you know, up at the top mm -hmm. of uh, the hill in Mirabelle there. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. The elves did not take care of their stuff. I was asking myself the same question, Dora Stroke, are the cracks on the west wall this one here in front of us. Are the cracks decorative or are they just cracks? The ones in the middle panel are symmetrical and thus clearly a design. The ones behind this sort of statue alcove are less obviously designed. Yeah, they're organic. I think Could they be tree good. branches? It's or possible. vines? I mean, I can't rule it out. There's, that there's they, moss for sure. But yeah, I think that's meant to be. 
Yeah, I think it's meant to be like gouging and chipping on the stone. Mm -hmm. Could be possibly made by vines over the years. Like vines that died and long since rotted away. Now, um, by the way, I, uh, Tomas, completely agree with you. If Tolkien was working for Standing Stone, he would have made up a story, not just behind these ruins, but why it is that these ruins are here now and they weren't here before. Right. <laughs> so I think clearly what has happened is that there's like this new road, you know, this new pass has just been recently opened. Like there was some, something happened. I don't know what it was. Something happened that made this southward road accessible, which had never been accessible before. And now we're discovering all of these new ruins, which were obviously there, I think, all along. Um, Slide. <laughs> The other alternative being that somebody had just recently constructed these fake ruins, which I don't think is likely to be the case. Look at the green oh. pattern on the floor. Landalgar um, point, pointed out that there's uh, more designs in the back of the wall. Oh, on the back of the wall? Mm-hmm. Okay, wow, first of all, that's a really thick wall. Look at how thick that wall is. Yeah, that is uh This looks like a wall made for defense. This is a load-bearing wall. Yeah, I mean, this wall is enormously thick. Well, yeah, also there's no windows either, which does make me think it's meant to be yeah. some sort of fortress or just at least yeah. defensible. Okay, I'm great. Yeah, we've got some more of the... Okay, enough with the ferns. Okay. These bricks sticking out for... Are those meant for scaling up or something? Well, that would be counterproductive on the defensive front. Um, oh, elf, elf parkour. <laughs> We've definitely seen that um, sort of, you know, peacock feather-shaped, um, you know, the pointy thing at the inside of the top of that arch there. Oh, yes. We've definitely seen that somewhere else, and not too that, long ago. Yeah, was that in the in above? Uh, where was that? Like up up above Lothlorien in South um, Gladden Fields, I think. Yeah, Gladden Fields. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, I think that's where we saw it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Tomas, I agree. It does look like it's got that, uh, yeah, the concrete sandwich between the uh, the face masonry is just what I was seeing from the side there as well, which is what made me think it looked like a defensive fortification rather than... Um, this does not look... From the outside here, it's still nice. They've even got filigree work on the outside. It's not like it's stark or something. But... Um, but it definitely looks like it was originally built for defense. Yeah, it definitely reminds me more of the fortresses that we see in Mirkwood. So, who are we? Where are we? What uh, is going on here? Noldoran defenses against something. Maybe it's... Maybe it's post... You think you think maybe it's um, post uh, fall of Aregia? Could be. The Remember, Rudar did have a pretty good foothold. In yeah, I mean, we know that um, 
we know that... So on the one hand, yeah, we know that Rivendell was established as a defensive outpost during the war with Sauron in the Second Age. Yes. Um, as Eregion was falling, basically. Uh-huh. Um, and so, therefore, would have been a place to which survivors from Eregion would have fled, eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, would they have established that here, after that? After the fall of Eregion? Um, and the war is over, right? So the Numenorians come and crush Sauron's armies and the war is over in Eriador for a while. But there are still some free-floating Noldor elves who haven't left or died, and but are not all settling down in Rivendell, and some but come up nearby and build a fancy fortification here. If you have survivors in Alaska, refuge, you definitely want to maintain a foothold around the area to make sure there aren't any other people coming for them. And uh, I have a feeling we might get some answers in that building up the hill over there. What? Which direction? Behind Whoa, look at that. My goodness. Yeah. Where, where are we? Oh, we're now down into the special angle map. Okay. Yep. All right, so down to the southwest there is a very much larger building. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we will look forward to that next week. I, I think this must be... It's. It does look Noldoran. The little... The filigree work certainly suggests that but it's too defensive we definitely didn't see them build any they were not wasting their times with walls this thick when they weren't even bothering to put doors and windows in right but just like huge open arches everywhere um yeah yeah okay so hang in a second so there's uh so Narnian has a twin sister Oh, that's awesome. There we go. You can hang out here. Um, unfortunately, the floating names doesn't put my name above my head, does it? You do if you turn it on in your there options. There we go. I selected myself. That, that, that did. There we go. Look at that. There we go. She that's offers an, She offers archaeology quests? No way. No way. That is that is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. There we go. Yeah. That is awesome. There she is. Narnian's long lost, uh, very distantly related twin sister. Okay, so here to study the runes of Hoth Erthiat. I think that's what they are up there. Okay. Occupied well, by looters, thieves, and worse. Looking forward to seeing some more of that. We have uh, yeah, the other people. Eladon is here. Here's me not noticing the celebrity among us. Well, here. see, that's what immediately said. What does this Elven Ruins have that other Elven Ruins had? I'm like, Eladon or Eladon. Eladon, right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Guy's got to get his hand in everything, doesn't he? <laughs> Welcome to House Halciartha, Room of Kingdoms, 
This is Gerond, a camp from which we watch over the northern reaches of the Angle. You have arrived just in time. My father has called me to his side, but I've been loath to leave the Angle, as there is much, there's yet much work to do. If you are able to take up my tasks, however, I will return to Rivendell with a lighter heart. Yeah, like you ever return to Rivendell, sir. Oh, so we can free him up to uh, do some other things. To not go home again. South yeah. of this camp, perched high above the river, is... Aethildir. Aethildir. Long have swarming enemies defiled that once grand stronghold of the Noldor. I bid you travel up the winding way to Aethildir. Somewhere outside its gates, you will find my scout, Merryleg, who has been waiting for assistance. Deliver to her this letter of introduction and lend her what aid you may. So, wow, we need a... Uh, we need writ of passage in here, so uh, let's, let's do our yeah. diplomatic duty, folks. Yeah. Um, well, so uh, we basically nailed it. Noldor stronghold, yes. right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Totally pegged it. So this is clearly now. Interestingly, everybody's all the narrative and stuff is all focused on the present, as if like the present plot line is what truly mattered when what we really care about is like what can we conclude about what happened thousands of years ago by looking at the ruins here um but um but that's okay you know we we, we narnian's we, interested so uh let's see if we can help interested. her out yeah exactly and we'll she's make sure to have she is uh, drasnik is right she appears to be reading an invisible book she's reading a spiritual book i guess um so yeah that's uh that's fine Guess it would be an ebook, but the Wi-Fi is down. Yeah, I think so. She's not doing embroider, invisible embroidery, is she? Is it pages she's turning? Do you think? She's she's pretty much reading. That's reading a book. I think so. I that think is so. reading a book. She is um, happily named. Okay, there we go. Yeah, I would think with a name like that, she would be uh, reading or be talking. Reading a book. Yeah, exactly. Reading or talking, one or the other. All right. Um, well, we will leave it here this week. It's already late, and we we will, and we have mm -hmm. many weeks yet in which to explore here. So obviously, we know where we're headed next week to the uh, ruins on the hill up there. Dun, dun, Lots dun. of broken archways that I can see and stuff. So oh yeah, that'll be cool. All right. Everyone, awesome. grab, everyone, grab the milestone for next time. Oh wait, there's a milestone here. Right. Yep. How handy. Oh, look, I can do it without getting up, apparently. Very good. All right, excellent. Thanks, everybody, so much for joining us, and we will see everybody back again next week for more exploration of the new and improved Trollshaws. So uh, thanks, everybody, and I will see you guys next week. Bye now.